Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now, let's get into today's reading. Revelation chapter 17, and let's start from uh, verse 1, and I'm going to grab chapter 13 for just a minute because I'm going to go there and show you a little contrast. Okay, Revelation 17, verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls, now of course the seven bowls have already been poured out now, so this is not uh, in chronological order. In other words, what we're about to read in this chapter is something of another excursus as we've mentioned, sort of an appendix, sort of some additional information that helps us to understand what we've been reading. So uh, it's it's further explanation. So I think this is important. So one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, come and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So we're talking about a harlot, a great harlot, who sits on many waters. Well, when the Bible here in the book of Revelation talks about many waters, it's uh, almost always talking about many peoples, tribes, nations, languages, and so it's talking about the people or the sea of people, if we could say it like that, of the earth. And so this harlot sits on this on the sea of the multitudes of the earth, okay? So we're going to find out in this chapter who she is. Verse 3, so he carried me away into Uh, In the spirit, this is John talking, so this angel carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy. Well, you know, blasphemy is not just uh, perverse things or wicked things, but it is religiously blasphemous. In other words, these are things that are against God against the ways of God, against the morality of God, against God himself, see? And so this is blasphemy. So this woman is sitting on a beast, and this beast was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Now, as soon as we read that, we we think, wait a minute, didn't we already see this beast before? And we did. So let's just go back quickly to the 13th chapter. And notice that John says in verse 1 of chapter 13, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea. And of course, this is out of the multitude of people again. Having seven heads and ten horns, there's the same beast, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon, that's Satan, gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. So he had power, he had a throne, a position of uh, governmental leadership, so to speak, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. So 
a deadly wound. So it seems like there was some kind of a death there, but then uh, a revival, a reviving of this head. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. Watch this. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. That's the devil. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Interesting, as if this is a man. And he, the beast, was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. So we related the beast here to the Antichrist specifically. Now, let's look back at chapter 17 because it's, it's describing this same beast with seven heads and ten horns, but now there's this harlot, this woman that's sitting on this scarlet beast. Okay, so coming back down now, uh, looking at verse 3 again, chapter 17, verse 3. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman, verse 4, was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations. Those are detestable things to God. Abominations and the filthiness of her fornication and on her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman, verse 6, drunk with the wine, excuse me, drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Well, it, it was a marvel to John. He's looking at this saying, wait a minute, this woman is drunk with the blood of the saints, with the martyrs of the Lord Jesus Christ? Verse 7, but the angel said to me, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her. So this angel said, I'm going to explain to you the mystery of the woman. This is this harlot sitting on the beast, supported by the beast, if we could say that. And I'm going to show you the mystery of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. Uh, and then verse 8. Now here's here begins the explanation by this angel of the woman and the beast. He's going to start with the beast in verse 8. In verse 8. Okay. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. Now, remember that the beast, as was described in chapter 13, very quickly and evidently turned into a reference to the Antichrist. But notice here now, the beast which you saw was and is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. And so notice two references there, a repetition for emphasis that this beast was and is not and uh, is to come. This beast will be again. So verse 9, here's some more explanation. 
Here is the mind which has wisdom. Here is the mind which has wisdom. So he's going to give some insight now to who this beast is. Watch this. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Now remember, uh, he said earlier, the woman is sitting on this beast. This woman, this harlot full of, with a cup full of abominations is sitting on top the beast or supported by this beast. And here he says, the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. Okay, so let's talk about this. Now, we're going to go into, and it's going to begin to reference Babylon again, uh, Babylon, a city, and the whole next chapter is going to be dealing with the fall of Babylon. Now, I mentioned earlier that some scholars believe that the reference to Babylon here is a revival of the literal city of Babylon in uh, in Iraq, okay? However, uh, in the days of John, when this was written, uh, Babylon was not in uh power. It was Rome. It was the Roman Empire that was in power. And notice this. It says, herein is the mind which has wisdom. Verse 9, the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Well, you know, Babylon, the city of Babylon was built on a plain. However, the city of Rome was built as is easily referenced in history. Uh, You can look it up very quickly. The city of Rome was built on seven mountains, or some would say seven hills. And this was very well known because uh, they were all under the Roman Empire. Everybody knew everything about Rome. And so to the first century that was receiving this message, this, uh, this whole revelation initially, they understood very clearly what city it was that was built on seven hills or on seven mountains. And here... This woman was sitting on, supported by this uh, place of seven hills or of seven mountains. Interesting also that he says that this beast was, and let's see, he says it in verse 8, the beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit. So here's something in existence and then is not in existence and then will once again be in existence again. So uh, many scholars agree that this is talking about the Roman Empire, that the Roman Empire was strong and in power and then was not in power, but will yet be in power again. I think this is also supported from Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 9 when he outlines the 70 weeks of Daniel. Of course, we know those to be 70 seven-year period. It's a week of years, not a week of uh, weeks of years, not weeks of uh, days. And so he goes on to say in that prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, he says, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city of Jerusalem. Well, we know that the city of Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD, which Jesus also prophesied in Matthew 24, right at the beginning. Uh, All these stones, do you see this temple? All these stones 
uh, will be torn down and not one stone will be left upon another. You remember that will not be thrown down. And so it was the Romans that destroyed the city. So we know that Daniel's prophecy is talking about the Romans. But notice he said, and the people of the prince who is to come. And that prince is talking about the Antichrist. So the Antichrist, it appears, is uh, is this ruler, this world ruler that's going to come on something of a revived Roman Empire. And so that's why it seems apparent that these seven heads and these seven mountains, this is talking about something with Rome. Rome. But notice this woman. We're going to get to some explanation about the woman as well. She's sitting on top of this beast whose capital center is Rome, the seven mountains, okay, on which the woman sits. It says at the end of verse 9, verse 10, there are also seven kings, now watch this, seven kings, five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. (laughs) Five have fallen. So he says there are seven kings now, seven kings, talking about this beast. Or, and if this is indeed the Roman Empire that we're talking about. So he says five have fallen. Well, if you look at the history of Rome, there are some 70 or so emperors that led Rome throughout history, uh, mostly after uh, the times of John, uh, by and large, most all of them. But at the time of John's writing, and some have uh, really asserted that the five that had been, starting with the first five emperors of Rome, which are, I wrote them down here, Augustus, Tiberius, Caligula, Claudius, and Nero. So when it says five have fallen, these five, these first five emperors of this Roman Empire could very well be those that he's talking about. And then it says one is. Well, in those days, uh, uh, Vespasian... Okay, but we have to understand that though that may have been the emperor in John's day, there were three emperors in between Nero and Vespasian. And then he says, and there's one to come. And some scholars believe that would be Titus. But of course, there were many emperors in Rome after Titus as well. But what's interesting is this. Watch this. There are also seven kings. Five had fallen. One is and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. So that one to come could be Titus, yes, but that one to come could be that he skips all the other emperors after Vespasian and goes right to that Antichrist, the prince of the people who is to come, uh, referencing back to Daniel chapter 9. So notice this, five have fallen, one is, there's a current Roman emperor, and the other of the seven that he's talking about has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. Now watch this, verse 11, the beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth. Now isn't that interesting? See, so here's the beast with the seven heads, and he says there are seven kings, and this is why it's confusing for a lot of people, because the seventh, he said, well, the beast that was and is not, and is himself also the eighth. Oh, so now there's an eighth. But notice this, and is of the seven, and is going to perdition. What you're thinking, wait, 
The eighth is of the seven. So uh, some people believe, by the way, and I think that with all of this satanic power that's going on and deception that's going on, that it very well may be. That, you know, with Nero, when Nero died, the rumor went out throughout the Roman Empire that he really wasn't dead or that he was going to come back to life and rule. And, and uh, many, if not all, of these Roman emperors saw themselves or tried to project themselves as deity. See, so this whole idea of men being God or one of the gods is uh, very much a fit with the abominations that are happening here and the blasphemies that are happening here. And so Nero had this reputation, uh, at least for many years, that he was going to be coming back and such. And so when it says that the eighth, there would be an eighth king and he would be of the seven, you can see how this whole idea and this history, which is well documented about Nero, could be a deception that comes back that this eighth uh, that's coming back or this Antichrist that's coming is really uh, a reviving of Nero. It's just one of the speculations and such. I don't think we need to get dogmatic about it, but we'll, we'll see things, or it will be seen, I should say, as these things play out. So notice this now, verse 11 again, the beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. Certainly the Antichrist is going to perdition because the lamb, Jesus, is going to destroy him. Verse 12, the 10 horns which you saw are 10 kings who have received no kingdom as yet. So these these 10 horns are talking about kings that will be under the Antichrist rule in the future. But they receive authority for one hour, a very, very short time, as kings with the beast. Verse 13, these are of one mind and they will give their power and authority to the beast. They will give their power. They will be completely submitted to the beast, to the Antichrist, but also to this this empire, this system, this this world system that the Antichrist rules over, this revived Roman system. Verse 14, these will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. So you can see here that the Antichrist and these ten kings that support him and give their allegiance, power, and submission to him. They're going to war against Jesus the Lamb at the end of the tribulation period, and he's going to dominate him. Well, of course he is, because he is coming in the power of Almighty God. And, uh, of course, it mentions us, and those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. Praise God. That's us. Verse 15. Then he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues, which we mentioned. Verse 16, and the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these, watch this, will hate the harlot. Now, there's a difference between the beast on which the harlot sits and the harlot herself. These will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. 
For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. And then it's going to go on in chapter 18 to the fall of this city Babylon. But it seems like this city Babylon is this Babylonian empire, this system that really dates all the way back to the city of Babel or the Tower of Babel. Do you remember this? And Nimrod really being the one that is given the credit for uh, the original establishment of the city of Babylon. But way back to Babel, when people were really going against God's will and trying to make a name for themselves and so on and so forth, uh, this Babylon. However, we already saw here that it seems evident that the city that we're talking about uh, in the days of John is not really the Babylon, the Babylonian city in, in modern-day Iraq today, but is Rome. Rome, okay? So notice this now, that these ten, these ten horns, and it says here in verse 16, and the ten horns which you saw uh, on the beast, these will hate the harlot. So let's distinguish now this beast that is this revived Roman Empire, this, this system, we could say a Babylonian system and such. But on this beast is sitting a woman who is a harlot with a cup of abominations in her. And what are we talking about? This seems obvious that we're talking about a religious system, but a religious system that is corrupt, a religious system that is apostate, a religious system that is, uh, has really become drunk on the blood of the saints. In other words, it's a corrupted religious system. And so interesting that it's here centered on these seven mountains in this city of Rome. I, I wouldn't just say that's just solely the Catholic Church, as some would just say that's the Catholic Church, because both Catholic and Protestant, but also other religions of the world, there's this like system of religion. Every false religion, no matter whether it's false Christian or any other religion that's against the true uh, belief and the true doctrine and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Any other is, is a harlot, is a prostitute, is full of abomination. And you remember Paul said, if even an angel of heaven comes and preaches to you any other gospel, let him be accursed. And this is what he's dealing with. And the New Testament authors were constantly dealing with these false doctrines, these false brethren, brethren, these false prophets. And because I'm telling you, the flesh, the carnality, and demonic inspiration. Remember the Bible says in the last days there'll be deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And so this whole system where people buy in and people make a religious system out of this, no matter what flag you put on it, it's all a part in the spirit realm of this harlot who is full of just abominations and, and has been behind, even sometimes in the name of Christianity, against the true saints of the Lord and even drunk on the blood of the martyrs of Jesus Christ. And so notice that the, these kings, 
supporting the beast, supporting the, the political system, supporting the Antichrist and his political domination on the earth, his governmental do- denomination, they turn on the religious uh, spirit, this religious system that's riding upon the beast, upon the governmental beast. And so they're, they're working in collaboration. And it seems to me, like based on Daniel chapter 9 especially, that the Antichrist makes a one-week or seven-year covenant a peace covenant, but in the middle it's all broken. Seems to me like this this turning of the Antichrist and the king supporting him on the religious system where they were working together in collaboration, but all of a sudden they turn and all of a sudden the religious system is abolished. And the Antichrist is the one that is now to be worshipped right in the middle of the tribulation period. He's now going to be worshipped and everything else. In fact, Paul said in Thessalonians, he said uh, he, he is against and opposes everything that's called God. So he himself wants to sit in the place of God. See, and so at first, it seems like the first part of the tribulation period, this apostate religious system is working with this revived Roman Empire under the Antichrist. But then in the middle of the tribulation, there's a shift and these kings turn on this religious system and abolish it and just bring it to destruction. And it says very clearly that God is behind this that God is bringing judgment to the religious system and using the kings under the Antichrist to do so. Well, okay, well, that was, that was quite a chapter, I tell you, and there's a lot to this. There's much to be studied, of course, but I think it, I hope this helped at least some to put some of these things in perspective. I look forward to tomorrow, chapter 18. Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com slash give. To find out more about the ministry of Solid Lives, how you can be a part of this church planting and disciple making movement, or for more great teachings and resources by Jerry, visit solidlives.com. We also want to invite you to check out Jerry's other podcast called The Jerry Dearman Podcast. Here, Jerry shares with us at least weekly from God's Word, challenging us and equipping us to fulfill the amazing plan that God has for our lives. You can find links to this podcast as well as Jerry's YouTube channel online at solidlives.com. Thank you again so much for joining us and we'll see you right here tomorrow as we jump into the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman.